Nations Inheritance Podcast, where we discuss God, the Bible, and God's purpose for your life. Be inspired and encouraged to engage in transforming the world around you. My name is Jason Holland, and I am the president of Joshua Nations. And I want to thank you for joining us on this Inheritance Podcast. Today, I want to share with you about God's commission. His commission is a formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. What kind of commission would God give us? Well, it's an authorization or a command to act in a specific manner to, prefer, to perform prescribed acts. So how has he commissioned us? What has he authorized us to do? What has he commanded us to do? Well, a lot of times we uh, think of commission and we think of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Uh, that can also be found in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, Luke 24, verses 46 through 49, John 20, verses 21 through 23, and also in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The wonderful thing about God's commission is he has assigned us a task. It's an order that was made to us as believers. But the prefix of that word, commission, let's just break apart that word for a moment. Co-mission. A prefix meaning with, together, or an association. Completely. And it's one of those things that God has asked us to do or commanded us to do in partnership with him. So we've talked about the prefix and the stem is mission. So the other part of that word is mission, a specific task with which a person or a group is charged. It's a calling, a vocation, a body of persons sent to perform a service or carry out an activity. So God has asked us, commanded us, told us to partner with him on a very specific activity. And that activity is to bring his kingdom, his good news, his purposes into the earth. Now, it began way back at the very beginning, not just in, uh, in Matthew 28 with Jesus speaking to us, but it began in the beginning. We can find it in something that's known as the dominion mandate. That's in Genesis 1, verses 26 or 28, and was given to Adam and Eve. It's where God told Adam and Eve to take dominion, to rule, to reign. It was a pre, uh, repeated again to Noah in Genesis 9-1. This mandate, which was given from the beginning, gives a clear description of God's intention for influence in the earth through his people. And later on, through the Abrahamic covenant which was a precursor to what we now understand as the Great Commission. The covenant made was not conditional or dependent upon man. This covenant again communicates God's plan of redemption for mankind. That's the wonderful thing about God's covenant, his plans, his commissions for us. Even though he's invited us into a partnership with him to do things with him, hand in hand, arm in arm, it's not dependent upon us. 
Yes, we have a responsibility, but God is faithful because of who he is, because of his character, that his plans and purposes will be carried out. Now let's take a look in the New Testament uh, at this thing we call the Great Commission. There's several different emphasis that are given. In Matthew chapter 28, the emphasis is on disciple, to disciple all nations. That actually means to disciple every ethnic group. That's not geopolitical nations, but that is every tribe, tongue, language, and ethnic group. And then in Mark, the emphasis is to proclaim good news to all creation. And in Luke, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nation. And we are to do these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of John, the word sent, this idea of being sent is a emphasis here. Sent by Jesus himself as his earthly representatives in the same way that he was sent by the Father. And as believers, we are marked and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then again in, in Acts chapter 1-8, it says, Receive power from the Holy Spirit. Be his witnesses, ultimately, to the ends of the earth. And we see that everything we do, everything God has asked us to do, it is empowered by him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We receive power, we go in power, and we display God's power. That's part of being a witness. So what does it mean then to be obedient to God's commission? What do you think those different tasks or activities entail? Now, all people, all believers are called and commissioned into full-time Christian service. It doesn't mean that you have to be a vocational minister, but every believer is called. Every believer is commissioned into carrying out the works of the ministry. Every Christian has been called into full-time ministry. When Jesus commissioned his followers, he appointed all believers as ministers of the gospel. Just look at 1 Peter 2.9. The work of the kingdom is a responsibility of all believers, regardless of their vocation. Ephesians 4 makes it very clear. Part of my job is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. Now, as a believer, we are all saints. We are all to be equipped and empowered and commissioned to do the works of ministry. All are called with the holy calling. Look at 2 Timothy 1.9. Many Christians are deceived into thinking that the church and work are two separate entities, that the church is sacred in the work that they do throughout the week, that it's secular, that it's totally removed from something that God might ordain. But there's no separation. Both are sacred to God. Too many times we separate our, our Monday through Saturday from Sunday. You might have heard uh, people that uh, go to church on Sunday but live like hell during the week. Pardon the analogy, but many times uh, believers will do what they want throughout the week, and then they clean themselves up for Sunday 
and they go back to their own life and their own ways and their own desires throughout the week. Instead, God wants us to be living a holy, set-apart, sacred life every day of the week. And as we go into the workplace, we are ministers of the gospel. Implying that there's a separation between church and work just suggests that there are areas of life that must exist separately from one another. But we know that the Lord is not happy for us to have divided attention. He wants us to be completely focused upon him, to give our soul attention to him. And as we go about the work that we do throughout the week, that we are honoring him with our lives, honoring him with our, with our diligent work, and also honoring him by being a witness, both by our lifestyle as well as our words to those who are around us. Implying a separation suggests that these two are morally and spiritually incompatible. And that's ridiculous. This is the antithesis of a unified and a surrendered life to Christ. When we look at the world around us, we see that many people are calling Christians hypocrites. Uh, They see that even within Christianity that there are so many denominations and divisions and that people cannot come together in unity. And I believe that part of that is because we have made separations. We have split our work with our worship. But God wants all of that to come together. Work is worship unto God. A surrendered life to Christ is worshipful to him. And it is a display of God's work in us to the world. A proper worldview or perspective that exemplifies God's presence in all activities. Let's talk about this here just for a moment. Now, the world's perspective uh, would say that the sacred things in life are are prayer, uh, meditation, or Bible reading, singing songs or hymns, and attending church or religious services. And that the secular things would be work, recreation, uh, sleeping, entertainment, eating. Those things would be separate. But the correct biblical perspective is that all things are sacred, that prayer and work and sleeping and eating and recreation and attending a church and reading the Bible and fellowshipping or being uh, having a entertainment in your house or, or whatever things you do, all of those are sacred unto God. Now, if we invited the Lord into everything that we did, then I'm sure perhaps things would look a little bit different in some of our homes. But this also would give an opportunity to to influence others for Christ by demonstrating biblical virtues in everything that we do. We have a unique opportunity to influence others for Christ by demonstrating biblical virtues in the workplace. Think about this. What if we are exemplary in everything that we do? We work hard. We are diligent. We are good stewards of the resources entrusted into our hands. We are honest. We operate with integrity. We are compassionate to one another. And everything we do is marked with excellence. Biblical character that is consistently displayed is a testimony and a witness. Those whom you influence may never hear a formal sermon in church. 
the Christian worker may be the only representation of Christ that that lost person may encounter. I believe the statistics show that a person in the workplace comes into contact with 70 times more unsaved people than a vocational minister. Now, I'm not including a big evangelistic crusades or events like that, but you, as a worker in the general workplace, whether it's retail or corporate or government or, or education, whatever it is, you're coming into contact with more unbelievers than a vocational minister. So your opportunity to influence people for Jesus is greatly more than my opportunity as a vocational minister. You should celebrate that. You should be excited about that opportunity. God has entrusted this responsibility to you. My friends, we need to celebrate the work that has been entrusted to us. There's people all around the world right now that do not have sufficient work, and they're not able to provide for their families. So we must steward the work that God has given to us and honor him because of that. Everything that we do in our home, in the workplace or church will bring glory to God. And we should always be found faithful at all times for his glory. I remember uh, a particular saying, and, and I can't remember the exact words, but uh, it goes something like, whatever you do at any time, you should be found faithful. If God were to check in on you or walk in the door or look into your office or over your shoulder, be found faithful. And uh, this is something that I've encouraged uh, my sons, that in the little things, be found faithful. In the little things, be found diligent. And I will entrust more responsibility to you. I was uh, sharing with my son Judah just the other day that uh, when I'm not looking, take the, take the extra step of responsibility and I'll be able to entrust you with more. And uh, he kind of lit up because he understood that as I entrust him with more responsibility, that also means that perhaps I will bless him uh, even with some money or something when he, when he does uh, a good job, if he's helping out around the house and he takes that extra initiative. Uh, we should be thinking the same way. Be found faithful at all times for God's glory. God is a worker and he created us to work. He was the first worker. Think about it. In Genesis 1, he created all things. Jesus was working with God the Father since the very beginning. He was right there in creation and he's been with uh, the Father since then. He's always at work. One of the first assignments that we see given to man was to work. And you can find that in Genesis 2.15. We are also co-laborers in the co-mission. <laughs> you like that? I know I do. We are co-laborers with God in the harvest. Embracing the role of a co-laborer and viewing work as worship will build this platform for evangelism. When we think about it as a co-laborer, we don't feel isolated, sent out by ourselves or alone. We know that God is with us. A church could literally be started within your workplace if people are reached for Christ. I've seen it happen all around the world. I've seen churches started, Bible schools started, small groups started, uh, counseling and uh, marriage uh, reconciliation, all kinds of wonderful godly things started in the workplace because of men and women just like you who are a witness that allow Jesus to 
to just overflow from their lives in the workplace. We need to redeem every opportunity we have for Christ. Uh, the time is getting short. Look around society, both here in the United States as well as around the world. Uh, it is a very strange, interesting, and difficult time. We need to redeem every opportunity for Jesus. Our prayer should be that God's kingdom is established on earth as it is in heaven. Just look at the Lord's Prayer. You can see it in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me encourage you to pray that on a regular basis. Christians are God's kingdom representatives in the world. God's kingdom represents more than just salvation of souls, but redemption for all of creation. God's people will ultimately usher in Christ's return through understanding and establishing God's kingdom in the earth. Scripture says the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of Jesus. Hallelujah. I can't wait for that day. Until then, we have a lot of work to do. The kingdoms of the earth are physical and spiritual. Kingdoms of the earth are realms of influence that shape the way people think, act, and perceive. But God has given us the ability to have authority and control over these kingdoms and point people to or away from Jesus. You'll look right now and you'll see that many of those uh, realms of influence are pointing people away from Jesus. They're pointing people away from truth, pointing people into uh, divisiveness, into chaos. We need leadership within the spheres of influence of culture. Now there's seven spheres of influence. These exist in every society, both in the United States and every nation in the world. And uh, God spoke these things uh, specifically, I believe, to uh, Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright back in the 1970s. Uh, if you follow uh, modern day uh, Christian voices that are on media, one particular person who is a large proponent of this is Lance Wallnow. And uh, I want to encourage you, uh, whether you like or follow any of those uh, men of God, uh, let me encourage you that uh, we need to seek opportunity to influence these seven spheres of influence. Sometimes they're called seven mountains or seven boulders, uh, but uh, here they are. Business, education, arts and entertainment, government, family, media, and religion. Each person in a society is affected by these spheres of influence. Christians in positions of influence in each of these spheres can help shape society and represent Jesus. A Christian influence in these spheres will allow God to cast light upon the spiritual strongholds in society. It's important that we raise up men and women who can influence these seven spheres. Without it, we see our culture, our nation uh, begin to fall apart. And that's what's happening right now all around us. God's kingdom is to be established in every one of these seven spheres of influence. Business, economic systems that allow business and commerce to thrive and expand 
using the resources of a nation to bring wealth and a higher standard of living to all of the people living there. Education anchored in the principles of God's word that train and prepare students to have a great character, attain great accomplishments, and to give hope for the future. Entertainment that is wholesome and allows people to experience a full range of excitement, fun, and other God-given emotions. Governments with just laws that are carried out by officials who value integrity, honesty, and who take care of and provide for their citizens. Strong families led by married couples, which is one man and one woman, who love each other for life. Parents who love and nurture their children, raising them to love God. Media that is based on investigating and communicating the truth completely and accurately. And churches that realize their role in worshiping and experiencing God in church meetings and equipping their members to worship God and serve in all of these parts of a society. See, we are all affected by these seven spheres. But the problem is, is we have not been affecting these seven spheres. Now, my commission, my challenge to you is that you would find God's great commission embedded into these seven spheres of influence. A lot of times when we think of the Great Commission, we think of sending missionaries or, or going on a short-term mission trip or, or even an itinerant evangelist. But we forget that it's our responsibility as believers to take the light of Jesus into every place that we go. The workplace, into the home, into education, into art and entertainment, even into government. We need to be a, a, a healthy model for family. Uh, our churches should be reaching out and not just trying to pull people in. And so I want to challenge you to rethink God's commission as a co-laborer with him, that you would lock arms with him, be used of him, no longer think of things separate as sacred and secular, but understand that God has asked you and empowered you to be a minister wherever you are. Your work, your life is worship to him at all times. May you be blessed, encouraged, and challenged through this word that you would affect change in every place that your life touches. As a leader, yes, you are a leader. Leadership, uh, it, it's just influence. So you have great influence. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you are an influencer. You are a leader. So God has called you to be a leader for him, for his purpose, to help establish his kingdom here on earth. I challenge you as a leader and influencer to take God's word, his hope, his truth into all of these spheres of influence. And by doing that, we fulfill his great commission. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word and your truth. I pray that every listener would be challenged to engage in your great commission right now, today, in every aspect of their life. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every preacher has a story or two or three. No, wait, that's a lie. Every good preacher has a wild collection of stories. Preacher may not be the most profound, intellectual, or even biblically sound, but some of the greatest storytellers on earth are preachers. 
After all, you're probably listening to this because you're intrigued or even fascinated by this segment, a collection of fascinating stories. To be honest, this one's a doozy. It's one of my most embarrassing moments in ministry. But looking back on it, it's also one of the most humorous. The most memorable stories are often the ones that are the most humiliating, self-deprecating. As long as the main subject is a good sport, me being the main subject, the stories are often fantastic. As a full-time, short-term missionary, I get ample opportunity within a year to preach, teach, exhort, and encourage the body of Christ. However, 95% of those opportunities are in an international context. So speaking internationally is a unique skill of its own. By God's grace, I have grown quite comfortable and confident in speaking internationally. In addition to reading your own audience and understanding cultural cues, the speaker must learn to work with an interpreter. Of course, every new city and new ministry opportunity presents the need to work with a new interpreter. As you can imagine, this can sometimes be a bit difficult, as not all interpreters are created equal. Working with an interpreter often allows a speaker to craft each sentence carefully to most succinctly articulate one's point. For some speakers, using an interpreter is cumbersome, but for me it's become very comfortable. So comfortable, in fact, that on the rare occasion that I'm preaching English, it takes me a few minutes to get into a groove. Early in my preaching years, I had next to zero opportunities to preach in the U.S. It was only a few senior pastors that were close friends that granted me an opportunity to share God's word with their congregation. One of those dear pastors happened to be my father, Dr. Henry Holland. At the time of this particular event, my father and mother had recently taken over a small church in southeast Texas and were pouring their hearts and souls into this work and watching God grow the church from about 10 people to over 150 people. My gracious father was so kind to give me the opportunity to preach at his church, although at the time my preaching was quite mediocre. I do not recall the exact year, but I think it was in the early 2000s. The title of my message is insignificant, and after searching my hard drive, I can't even find the particular sermon notes. Most likely they were deleted at some point after realizing their special state of sorriness. I know that's not a word, and I'm not sorry, but that's all I can think about when I think about some of my early sermons. The sermon that day was intended to discuss missions, global worldview, and our responsibility for the Great Commission. As a traveling missionary, one of my goals is always to inform the body of Christ about what's going on in the world and challenge them to have a proper Christian or Christ-centered uh, worldview. Sometimes this is a great feat, as a typical American worldview does not always line up with Scripture. You can imagine that a special level of diplomacy is required so as to communicate these things properly without being rude or even offensive. Needless to say, it's a, pain a painstaking task, uh, but it's worth it. As I was building the case for my challenge on this particular Sunday morning, my challenge to the congregation's worldview, I recall sharing different perspectives from believers around the globe. America was engaged in the Middle East after the terror attacks on September 11th, and therefore many Americans just preferred to bomb the Middle East entirely off the map. I shared the good news of how quickly people were coming to Christ in Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. 
I shared about the persecution of Coptic Christians in Egypt and how Islam was trying to take over the African continent by following strategies that were set forth by Christian missionaries hundreds of years prior. I could see the crowd really digging into what I was saying. Eyes were wide open, listening intently as I continued to share more and more. The stories of the numerous Muslims who had experienced a Christophany were probably the clincher. If you don't know what a Christophany is, and that, that's a personal appearance or visitation or an open vision of Jesus himself. There's many people in the Middle East and, and very difficult, restricted nations that are having Christophanies, and Jesus is appearing to them just like he did to Paul. Actually, he appeared to Saul. And so you can imagine that the conversion that takes place is absolutely awesome. Well, at this point in the sermon, I could see I had their attention, and now I could begin to encourage and even instruct them on how to become better informed, educated, and then activated to make a difference as true disciples of Christ. A good preacher gets the audience's attention, builds their case, and then calls them to action. I had accomplished step one, and now it was time to move to step two. Life experience is one of the easiest and most effective methods for presenting the case, the cause, or the anecdote to impart the new knowledge or wisdom to be applied. So without an audio recording and transcription, here's how it played out from my own mouth. And I will do my best to requote what I said. And here it goes. As members of the body of Christ, we need to understand we have a great responsibility. Our responsibility is to listen and obey Jesus. We must do exactly what he says. Sometimes, though, our minds are so distorted with our own opinions, with American opinions, we cannot get a good glimpse of the world. While we as Americans are wanting to nuke the Middle East, Jesus is actively working there and saving people at a rapid rate. As a missionary, I must have his mind and his view of the world before I have my own American worldview. This means I must stay informed with news from all around the world. I don't just get my news from the TV. I go online on a regular basis to visit internet nude sites to get information from all over the world. I go online to internet news, news sites. I repeated myself. It was during that unintentional dramatic pause that I just reenacted that I looked out and I saw the crowd begin to snicker and my wife on the front row grinning from ear to ear. I pause. As soon as I fumbled, I hoped that nobody heard it. Well, that was unfortunate. That wasn't the case. In fact, everybody, almost everybody heard it. Feeling the, the blood rush to my face in embarrassment, I quickly reiterated that I visited news and emphasized the S news sites. It was too late. I lost them. At that moment, I knew this was going to be a sermon that many would never forget. Of course, they probably would not remember the intent, the scripture, the call to action, or any of the good stuff. The church would remember it as the time Jason Holland, son of the pastor, visited internet nude sites from the pulpit. Embarrassing as that was, it sure has become a fun and humorous story to share with my friends and now you. One of the great lessons I've learned from this experience was that I should never take myself too seriously. Life is fun, adventurous, and even quite comical. Even the little mishaps that are embarrassing, appreciate them for what they are. A funny story you can share with others 
sometimes it'll bring a smile to their face and will just lighten the mood. I hope this story has lightened your mood a bit, maybe brought a smile to your face. Perhaps uh, you also have been challenged to look around the world around you, engage, actively pursue finding what is real, what God is doing in the nations, and allow your worldview to be transformed and changed by scripture and not what you hear or read on news sites. Thank you for joining us today for the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the messages today by Jason Holland. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of Joshua Nations, please check out our website, joshuanations.org. Also, if you'd like to know more about the Joshua Nations Inheritance Prayer Movement, please check out that website, prayer.joshuanations.org, for more information. Thank you again, and please join us next time for the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. We hope you have a blessed day.